I didn't even check. Are mm-hmm. we doing homebrew catastrophe tonight? <laughs> no, today is the quality varies. Today is the quality varies. We just did. Okay. Yeah, that just. I got so many podcasts up. going on, I lose track. <laughs> oh, wait. Are we doing homebrew catastrophe? Oh, oh, come on, on Jordan. Dude, I don't, I don't know, man. Uh, yeah, we're doing homebrew catastrophe this week. That's what I thought. Okay, cool. Well, I gotta shift my brain real quick because I thought I I was trying to I was trying to overgeneralize everything. Um, to not ward away everybody that was gonna be weirded out. Nope, we get to talk about D and D. The Durgens and Durgen. Wait, Durgens and Durgens. So, are, are, have we started? Um, to, is the show, is this thing running? Are we on? Yeah, I did the countdown. That's the universal signal. Okay, I of, hope uh, this whole conversation is in the episode. I really want all of our fan to know that we did that. Well, the longer if so, anybody that anybody that is listening now probably somehow listened to the entirety of the barely edited episode that released last week or two weeks ago. Mm-hmm. And if that's the case, and they're still listening, then they're probably they're probably in it for the long run. Ugh. Whoever you are, bless you. Yeah. Sorry about that. I just realized, like, I realized a couple days, because I, I went through and I just cut out. I, tr- I automatically truncated silence. I did a bunch of automated things because I mm-hmm. misused my time, and I had a half an hour to do something <laughs> with an hour and a half of content. Awesome. So I did a bunch of automatic stuff that just applied to the entire track. Mm-hmm. And then I realized later, I was like... Brian coughs in these episodes a lot recently. Just uh Yeah. I've had a oh man, I'm really sorry about that. I've had this thing, this bug in my house for like feels like eight years now. Oh. <laughs> no, no, no. That's an exaggeration. No, I just with the kids it just bounces around and then my wife has it and I have it and it's a whole yeah, thing. Yeah, when the family's big enough, I guess it just like keeps, you know. Just keeps mutating, just keep passing it around, share the love. You guys are like a single little petri dish. Yep. That's fun. That's so something. Good. That's fun to think about. Have you seen the videos where I think Harvard Medical School had this big like 8 foot, I don't know, 4 foot petri dish. It was a whole table of just like uh-huh. like the the solution that like grows the bacteria faster but then yeah. they coat like little two foot sections with antibiotic oh boy that's gonna sound great just dropped my microphone i, on saw, my I saw that and i heard that yeah. good oh, thank you listener for bearing with me i'm a consummate professional they coat this tabletop petri dish with antibiotic and then they start growing anthrax or, yeah. So, oh, so they're like creating strips or something. Yes. Of like. So they they grow some deadly disease or like some real like pain in the butt infection on the first like foot or two feet of the table, and then the next section is like enough antibiotic to kill the bacteria, and then the next section in is like ten times the amount of antibiotic to kill the bacteria and then the next section is like a hundred times and then the middle section is a thousand times the dosage of antibiotic to kill the bacteria and they just have this big time-lapse video of like weeks 
they just rec- they just film this table for weeks to see how long it takes for the the anthrax to like grow and like evolve and mutate to be resistant to the antibiotic and it it, oh, it did it grew oh, all the I way understand. into the middle of the table got it so, and and they were able to like they were able to see that it was like that anthrax was a mutated version of what it was at the beginning. Well, yeah. So because like it's the same antibiotic, they have enough antibiotic to kill it, and then it yeah. it becomes resistant to it, and so it grows into that section, Just and then it going. stops, and then it yeah. mutates and gets resistant enough to grow into the the ten times, and then the hundred times, and then the, the thousand times solution. It's, it's sketchy, man. Yeah, that's uh, that's a bunch of nope. Yeah, that's uh, that's terrifying. Yeah, but don't I would say worry, I would everybody. say that that's like the virology labs are completely safe. No bad things can happen from studying bacteria and viruses in a lab. Yeah. So Dungeons and Dragons. So Dungeons and Dragons. Wait, first of all, gaming news. Oh, 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 okay, Breaking gaming news. <laughs> you know, and that's it, just gonna it, keep getting. I feel like there's a couple of rules. Like it can, it can either be consistent or it can be good. And our transitions are neither of those. I reject both of those. I, I you know, I took your. You made a sound bit probably two or three episodes ago, mm-hmm. ago, and I pulled that sound bit ready to apply it to the future ones but it doesn't matter if you just make a new sound bit every episode <laughs> that's fine do both i don't know oh yeah that's that's what we need yeah in life why not okay what's uh what's your gaming news you ryan want. oh uh i bought elden ring like uh, oh yeah oh my gosh bro i'm surprised i like i could i could feel the energy from you when you were talking about that game so, like me, like a little bit i could tell you were like a little bit trying to manipulate me to like enjoy the game enough to go buy it again because mm-hmm. i could tell i was like if i say anything about buying this game that's gonna be the the straw that breaks the camel's back <laughs> and i was like i'm not gonna i'm not gonna uh i'm not gonna be uh i'm not gonna do this to to brian yeah but obviously yeah. you pushed yourself over the edge oh i went yeah i I bought it, and it's funny that you mentioned that because actually I remember exactly that conversation and thinking, "Oh crap, I've been, I've been manipulating Jordan to try to get to buy the game." I didn't mean to. I just it just kind of happened. I and so no, I knew I knew immediately. Like I could tell in your voice, not not manipulating. It was like you were trying to convince yourself, and it's yeah, like I don't. It's like a group of friends, and like one kid is curious about drugs, but yeah. he's not going to do it himself. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It's not. It wasn't. It wasn't like manipulating. Maybe like conditioning, not gaslighting. Conditioning, Mike. Yeah, conditioning or otherwise sowing seeds of potential. I don't know. Sowing yeah, seeds I, of potential. I felt myself doing that after the conversation, and I felt kind of bad about it. No, I thought it was I thought it was hilarious, um, <laughs> and yeah, I'm and it's, it's even more entertaining that you realized after after yeah, the fact, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so uh, you got it. So I, tell us. I mean, my gosh, flip the pyramid upside down. I want I want your rating out of ten so far. So far, um, man, it's I'm gonna I'm gonna give it a nine out of ten. I'm gonna give it a nine out of ten. Okay. A strong okay. Nine out of 10. Yeah. 
It's um, so the things that hold it back are uh, I'm not good at Souls games. This is technically yes. the second Souls game that I've played. I played yeah. like maybe six hours of Bloodborne, and then okay. I got too scared. <laughs> Uh, I did not like. I think you mentioned this in an early episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's very spoopy, and and I was not jiving with it. Yeah. So this is kind of my first like real foray into a From Software game, and so there's a definite learning curve there. But the exploration and environmental storytelling is impeccable. Yes. Oh, so good. And I can't, I want to quickly like relate to you. You're not alone on like the difficulty of like starting with the souls games. Uh, Dark Souls three was my first one. Mm-hmm. And the first, there's a, there's a boss like in the, you know, the first boss, the first main boss, there's mm-hmm. like a jokey boss. Yeah, yeah. Um, for most everybody I saw that was comfortable with souls games in the past, at most there was like a second phase that people weren't expecting. And if they weren't paying attention, they might die like in the middle of that phase transition. Mm-hmm. But then the second time they go to that boss, they kill it. Yeah. Took me like eight hours. <laughs> nice. To get through that boss. So you're you're not you're not alone. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I mean, I don't exist a lot on the internet, but I do I am aware of the notoriety of the uh, the difficulty of Souls games. And so I'm not I'm not getting overly frustrated with that. Yeah. So, that's... which is good. I mean, when you go into it knowing and like the mindset of coming into a new boss and one of the let's plays I'm watching, these guys, this guy has probably put a thousand plus hours into Dark Souls 1. Whoa. Because um, he enjoys it, but then he can also make money from it because mm-hmm. he'll put, he continues to do like different, very unique types of runs, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. like a fist, uh, like a complete fisticuffs run, a bow yeah. run magic you know you can do that and right. if you if people will watch it then you just get to sit there and enjoy the game right even he when he encounters a new boss in elden ring he goes into it of like each thing he sees that's new like he doesn't he doesn't even care if he's getting hit mm-hmm. um, or if he dies he's just sitting there commenting on like okay it looks like it looks like there's a delay on that attack it mm-hmm. looks like he does those in like bouts of two or three he's mm-hmm. t- like the first like four fights with a new boss He's totally fine with dying. He's just sitting there chilling, watching the watching the thing. And so going in, knowing that you know there's some going to be some deaths, mm-hmm. that saves a lot of uh, a lot of um, probably controllers. Yeah, <laughs> probably. <laughs> a yeah, of, a lot of frustration. Yeah, for sure. So that you love the you love the art mm. and the style of the game. Style, yeah. Just, I mean, we talk a lot about worlds and world building on this show. It's just so good. There's so many things going on that you don't know about until you find them. And it just adds so much more flavor to the world. There's, there's different groups and organizations and there's, there's just different things and uh, (laughs) places. I'm being so vague, but I don't want to give any. So how, how far into the game are you? collectively maybe 20 hours that's a very liberal that's not bad estimation yeah do you have a favorite fight or a favorite in maybe with the disclaimer of 
you know, spoilers. And then, uh, and then maybe I can put something in the show notes as far as what, where people can skip to, but do you have a favorite fight or a favorite scene so far? Favorite environment? I mean, I've only, I've only killed one like major boss. I think I've been yeah, but you know the point of the open world, like there's all those smaller there's the field bosses. bosses, right? Yeah, so I've yeah I've beat I've beat maybe three or four of those. What I do, what I've been doing most of most of the time is just like farming, leveling up, just practicing uh, practicing the combat really. Um, and I like understand practicing different yeah. play styles because yeah. I went and tried the first boss with. Uh, Margit, I went and tried yep. him a few times. Got bodied, just wrecked by this guy, which was a valuable lesson because, like, if you just follow, like, the game, the the game, like, literally points you in in a direction <laughs> to this boss, like, yes, immediately, like, first off, every checkpoint you reach literally draws a line toward the next checkpoint. And so if, yep. if you follow the lines, you go straight there and you like, I, it, you just got, I just got slapped. Hmm. Did you, uh, were you part of the overwhelming population that got, um, bamboozled by the tree sentinel as soon as no. they, as soon as they stepped out into the forest, like into the open world and yeah. they saw this innocent looking guy on a horse? No, he definitely did not look innocent. I, uh, I just skirted right around that guy. Uh, I didn't even mess with that guy. Got it. Uh, I thought that was so. I mean, that was my that was my problem. Is yeah. I walked out there and I was like, "Look at this guy." Yeah, look at yeah. And like, forty five minutes Elden later, Ring slap. Yeah. On the computer, it was an extra layer of like crap because that was probably one of the worst instances of like frame drops. Oh really? On the computer mm. was that section during that fight, and so you drop down to like five frames oh, a second shit, dude. when you were fighting him. Yeah. And so it was a really, like, nice example of, like, sweet. Uh, like, Bandai Namco has done it again. <laughs> yeah. Thank yeah. you. Well, I'm glad. Is there, I mean, are there any other comments you want to get on the gaming news on, on Elden Ring? Um, just, yes. The th- I mean, this is going to come to a surprise, come as a surprise to no one. The character building is on freaking <laughs> point. There's... Uh, there's all kinds of guys like build videos on YouTube. Um, I can only imagine. Do you? Uh, I think Fighting Cowboy is one of the yep. larger players in the game. Yep, he's he makes some good videos. Were you aware of him beforehand, or no. or did you just discover him on here? Okay, no. So the only one I knew about in the Souls like YouTuber arena was Fextra Life, and so I just yeah, yeah, yeah. I just looked. I watched all of his build videos and his guides, some of his guides. Um, and then as like the algorithm started picking up that I was watching Eldering videos, I found, uh, fighting cowboy Yimfla or whatever, Yimfla or whatever, whatever that guy is. Yeah. Fighting cowboy is the only one that I have on my feed that actually does like uh, the other ones that I watch. They just, they're not good at the game. They, they're just doing let's plays of it. Right. Right. Um, right. Yeah. Yeah. No fighting cowboys got some great guides and build videos. So and there's just so much like diversity and like the prog- like there's depth to the progression, right? Yeah. Where like 
in a Final Fantasy game, you pick your class and like you're good at one thing that whole the whole time you play oh, that character, no, yeah. you're only good at magic. But like this game, if you want to be a good faith caster, the faith spells don't come until later in the game. So you pick the class. I mean, you can pick whatever class, right? But you pick a class. With yeah, the class really just sets some faith. of the some of the early numbers. Right. But you can you can shift those. But yeah, so like I'm. I'm making him into a strength build now, which will, which will like set me up for like the equipment prerequisites and whatever. And like, and then when I get to the point where the spells become available, I'll have a decent faith stat to start building from. So there's like, yeah, I, I mean, it's just as a character building f- fan, uh, it's, it's real good. Very, very so do good. you see yourself do you see yourself being able to you know after your initial playthrough do you see yourself being able to enjoy like going in again and again and doing different builds mm-hmm. in yeah, the game okay absolutely yeah there's there's a ton of like combat and fighting mechanics that I just I'm really really interested in so I I do have two characters right now I've got an intelligence dexterity character who uses like light weapons and um, like the blue magics, the sorceries. Yeah. And then the, the more like sword and shield strength guy, who's going to be the faith caster later. Yeah. There's like the, the full dexterity builds. There's like the full magic or the full arcane. There's a ton of different, like really cool, uh, and fun-looking playstyles that I've seen that I'm really, really interested in going back and playing through. So, well, sweet man, I'm happy for you. I'm happy that that you uh, push yourself over the edge, like I said, <laughs> and uh, and got it. Boy. I didn't even. I I don't think I internalized. I thought to, I I thought to myself. I remember having this thought. Brian's gonna enjoy the game mm-hmm. if he gets it. Mm-hmm. I did not really internalize how much the character building system was probably going to resonate with you yes yeah and so you know it's just like it's fun it's fun when you see something that so well lines up with mm-hmm. you know what parts of the game that you're addicted to so yeah yeah one last thing on this that i saw a meme that i just i saw so i saw this meme before i bought the game and then i bought the game and i've played 10 or so hours into it and uh it's just like such a true meme there's like levels of truth and this is like yeah above literally true <laughs> okay yeah at least the half of it is literally true so the meme was uh like my parents at age 31 sweet we just bought a house let's have a kid me at age 31 playing elden ring this is the most perfect yep. game that's ever been made <laughs> <laughs> yeah and like the, the right, most though. perfect game is like i i can get on that i can get on that but yeah uh, so I have, I mean, I'll, I'll tag on to the very end and just mentioned uh, I have a game that I got uh, recently and I've been putting time into that I've been enjoying. Don't you but it's dare not, say Power it's Watch not new. No. Okay. I did. I, I don't know if I told you. So I did buy, I bought Power Wash Simulator. Uh, so I was having this crisis. Yes. And I told you this. Uh-huh. I was like, I, I, I wasn't, I didn't have any things that, like I was doing recently that I was like really getting relax like relaxation and a recharge from mm-hmm, mm-hmm. i was having this crisis and i needed to solve it so in my head i was like 
Power Wash Simulator. I think there was something somewhat close to that that I had gotten. Some kind of simulator game. Uh, I'm not going to look it up right now, but something uh, attuned to that. And I thought that I would just, like, it would just be a really, like, soothing kind of thing. Uh, no, it was not. I played it for 45 minutes. Only got through half of somebody's backyard before I just literally threw my hands up in the air, angrier than when I started, and I returned the game. But no, it's not a new game. But I, yet again, for the umpteenth time, downloaded, uh, well, I never uninstalled it, but I started playing Skyrim again. Mm-hmm. Usually in all the past playthroughs, anytime recently, it's been like 10% playing the game and 90% modding the game. Yeah. yeah. And just messing with the code. Wow. And in the past, that was fun. Like, I would literally just sit there on the on the mod page and just, like, read through the descriptions and see what it could do and see all these videos, and I would get pleasure from that. I would never really play the game to the point of, like, actually seeing these effects. It's like it's like in D&D when you always, like, see all these build guides up to level 20, mm-hmm. and then, like, one day you eventually realize that you're never going <laughs> to, yeah. like, the amount of times that you're going to, like, get to the point of realizing all of these benefits right. is just not going to happen. Right. And so in the past, you know, these massive mod collections, they're called Wabbajacks, mm-hmm. where basically somebody's gone in and just like curated hundreds of mods to go together. Wow. And so the last one I put on, it was like 300, 300 mods <laughs> um, and probably 50 gigabytes or no, no, I'm sorry, not 50 gigabytes, like 250 gigabytes. What the freak? Worth of mods. Skyrim is Skyrim's only like a, th- I don't know, maybe 10 gigabyte game. Are you serious? Yeah. 10 gigabytes yep. for a whole game? Um, I mean, it was 2012. That's bonkers to me, dude. Hang on. Let me, I, that one I will look up. Let me, let me take a look real quick. Wow. I think I've downloaded it enough times that I think it's around 12 gigabytes. Dude, I wouldn't even flinch if there was, if there was like 10 gigabytes in one cutscene of the oh. more recent Final Fantasy games, like. They go all, they are big files. So the most recent installation of Skyrim, because they've updated it Mm -hmm. 9,000 times. Yeah. The most recent version with like the most updated graphics and all of like the 40 something Creation Club things, which Creation Club is just uh, for a certain amount of things. They like took mods that were popular and they actually like paid them and like the the producer, like the developers, integrated it directly into the game. Oh wow! And then other things were like they just cont- like uh, very small DLCs, mm-hmm. basically. Mm-hmm. So all of that together, as far as the core, not like not community stuff, mm-hmm. is fourteen point two seven gigabytes. Holy crap! And that's with the anniversary edition that released like in October or something, or uh, I think at the beginning of November during the 10 year uh, 10 year anniversary of the game and this this mod collection was i think around 200 gigabytes just like talk about like a little pinhole of the game and then just yeah. like the mods just like <laughs> just fetch and heck dude I yeah mean, and so fetch and heck i mean all told i so F- final fantasy 15 is to me what skyrim is to you like it yes, will always yeah. be my game like yeah so I happen to know off the top of my head the the file size of that game, with all of its DLC, including side game former DLC that they split off into its own, like f- quote full game. Yeah, yeah. Um, is like close to two hundred gigs. Really? Yeah. 
it's it's like a hundred and nine gigs for the game and the DLC, and I want to say the Comrades expansion is like between thirty and fifty. Oh my goodness, dude! Yeah, Final Fantasy is taking up one hundred and five gigabytes on my computer. Yeah, oh my it's goodness. a huge mungus game. It's, it's. I mean, it's enormous. It was a huge mungus. I mean, that's a uh, the uh, the reality is is that's not that big anymore. Yeah, yeah, that's that's true. That's true. Halo Halo's bigger than that. Like Halo Infinite. Wow. That file size is bigger than hundred gigabytes by now. I think. Good night. But so so that was always the passion is just like shove as many mods into this innocent game as possible <laughs> and to the point of completely changing the game and that's what was right. so fun about it is like people literally made new games off of skyrim mm-hmm. because of how much control they had yeah i know the forgotten city i haven't played it yet but i look forward to it somebody made a dlc sized mod <laughs> with with the uh, uh, quest line new lands new assets of uh, voiced npcs wow and rewards and everything and the dlc was called the forgotten city it got I, there's all these industry specific awards but he got rewards that don't before then had never been given to a mod before wow and he took that and it's now a game and it's now its own standalone game on steam jeez that's nuts stuff like stuff like that so so that's what i would always done in the past this time it's been so long since I've actually played po- good portions of the game mm-hmm. since the last six or seven rotations. I've just done this and then not played much of it. Mm-hmm. And so I was determined. I didn't do any of the collections. I don't have time to set those up because that takes that takes hours and hours yeah. Yeah, to yeah. set up. It takes the the recommendation for the download size is um, it was going to take like a full day. <laughs> Like you had to set everything up and then they tell you like you have to literally leave your computer for a day and let it let the Wabajack, mm-hmm. uh, basically an install wizard. That's yeah. that, that's all it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, do its thing for 24 hours. So this time I was like not doing any of that super bare bones. I put like 30, I put like 30 mods on it. Just quality of life, like all the things that the community did to improve what Bethesda should have done in the first place mm-hmm. and then played the game. And then I've been doing, I've been playing for about... 15 hours on on the one i have now and just thoroughly thoroughly enjoying it that's good that's all having just a bomb time yeah Yeah. that's yeah i can relate to that just like going back to final fantasy 15 and just like just like freaking chilling man and just like loving it you know yeah exactly it's it's so good and with me like i know i know all the uh Final Fantasy really puts you in these cutscenes, mm-hmm. yeah, and that I get really like it's very and like impatient. Yeah, 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 yeah. I get really impatient with that. Um, I, I get like that. Skyrim. You can just like it's really it's much more in the background, and you can really get it going. And um, and since I know all the dialogue already, um, <laughs> I'm just sitting here and I'm just watching. I'm just watching uh, right now. I'm watching XP to level threes campaigns, so mm. Arcane Arcade. Yeah, yeah. I'm watching their Waterdeep dragon heist yep that shifts into um curse of strahd oh yeah okay because I'm, I'm making this kind of dark themed uh, campaign so i'm watching that on the side while i'm just playing and i'm talking to people and i'm doing the quest lines i know what's being said i don't have to, i don't have subtitles turned on I, I can barely i can't hear even hear their voices yeah, yeah. it doesn't matter to me i know what's happening <laughs> you, you know and just yeah just having a just having a good time so that's my update having a blast 
and uh, hopefully, it's been it's been probably five years plus since I've even finished the game. So wow. I've probably played I've probably played two or three hundred hours in the last couple of years, and I've not once have I f- have I finished the main storyline. So <laughs> that's a good game, though, but, man. You can just play for that long and just and still have stuff to do. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, back to the back to the main meat of today. Moving right along, yes. That has been gaming news. I just my dread on an episode basis of like seeing how long the episode has gone and how much we've gotten through. I know. Okay, so we're doing. Brian may have mentioned in the previous episode of Homebrew Homebrew Catastrophe. We're doing kind of a two-parter a self-collaboration yeah i i I make a story i think we're going to be talking about similar things just with different language Mm -hmm. for folks that are amongst and into the the D, you know kind of uh groups and folks that aren't (laughs) (laughs) yeah but what we're going to be talking about is really like Dungeons and Dragons and tabletop role-playing games in general, and then in the other episode, like games in general and like those social things, its relationship with mental health, mental struggles, and life, you know, just life mm-hmm. obstacles. Mm-hmm. Does that kind of sum it up somewhat okay in your opinion, yeah. Brian? Yeah, 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 it does. Um, I, I just want to throw this disclaimer out. I may start talking as if... I'm a therapist or a clinician. I am not. If you want to classify me as something, you can go ahead and classify me as a life coach. But I am not a clinician. Anybody can be a life coach. There's no certification necessary. But you can call me a life coach. Try not to have strong feelings about that title. (laughs) I think the only certification is that you have to personally realize that you're a life coach. And then you are. Yeah, pretty much. (laughs) I mean, having a clientele would probably help, but that's nah. that's that comes later. Yeah, that just that, that's, that's all secondary. sales. That doesn't yeah, that, have anything to do. That's secondary to the to the main point. Yeah, uh, and me as well. I'm 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 going to be talking solely from my experiences, and so if I if any of those statements come across accidentally as you statements instead of I statements, then I you know that's that's not intentional. Um, everything that I'm going to be talking about is just based off of my stuff. So those are good disclaimers. We should have done this a long time ago. <laughs> well, better late than never. Here we are. If we, if we harmed somebody, well, all right, <laughs> rest we in didn't. peace. We didn't. So, I mean, I, I want to ask you like, just starting from your experience, Brian, like we both found D and D around the same time, mm-hmm. much later in our, well, okay. We're, we're pretty young, but later <laughs> in our lives. Mm hmm. But both of us have had video games in our lives mm-hmm. for a large majority of it. I make, I make this story. Making that initial thing of like games in general. I guess I guess what's been what's been your relationship with games throughout my life, um, especially as a young child. It my relationship with games certainly took on a negative. Uh, component a negative flavor i guess there was a negative aspect maybe um yeah uh definitely had some emotional regulation issues show themselves through anger or absolutely anger Um, okay 
<laughs> this is good to know. This is new info to me. Yeah, in fact, I have a memory. I let's see, I would have been nine or ten. Let's see when I was living in my grandparents' house. Nice. Um, they were so they were on a mission. We were living in their house while they were gone. Uh, That's very nice of them. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was. And playing... how did you return that favor? <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to get into that right now. I was playing <laughs> Gran Turismo Two on the PlayStation One. Yeah. So yeah, I would have been nine or ten at the absolute oldest ten. Yeah, but I'm pretty sure I was older than eight. Anyway, I kept coming in second place on this race, and I remember as a ten-year-old making obscene hand gestures to the car that I was. Oh, nice! That I was yes, racing in. Let's go! And taking my controller and slamming it into the ground. Um, nice. Like over and over and over again when I would l- not win. Yeah, that's the that's the level-headed Brian I know. <laughs> yes. I can feel, uh, there's energy from this. I can feel you're, you're not, uh, I'm not, not proud of that. No, absolutely not. And I wasn't then. And I remember yeah. after like slamming the controller on the ground a few times thinking that's too much. Like that's, that's yeah. not, that's not cool. Even at that age, like but, recognizing yeah. that and like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, <clears throat> so I, it wasn't enough to get me to turn the TV off. I think I tried like one more time on the race but like took yeah. some deep breaths in between um and then probably lost again and then turned it off and then left yeah like walked out of the room you know like got a drink of water i think but uh yeah so i mean there's there's that that's an example of uh the negativity of games but then i think in my in the guitar hero era i had guitar hero 2 and so okay. that was that was a that was more of a social thing, and that's and that's that's what I would like to talk about tonight is the the social components of games and yeah yeah and the the benefits there because like so I'd I'd play it alone and I'd practice it after school or whatever after football practice and then when I'd have friends over I'd be like I'd get to show off which was a uh, you know not. Maybe not the most helpful thing, but you know, I uh, I've I've always needed that that kind of external validation of being like showing off, and it's just yeah. grown worse when as I've had kids who have thought that the things I do are cool. It's just fed that that beast yeah. all the more. I'm I'm told uh, I'm told frequently that they're going to get to an age that uh, there's just going to be a threshold where they just like full stop. Mm-hmm. One day they're giving you validation for stuff, and then one day everything that you do they think is just it's not cool anymore. Yeah, yeah. In my experience, it's more gradual than that. My six year old goes back and forth. Oh, sometimes oh, well, there you go. Sometimes he'll he'll go he'll I've got six I've, years old. Yeah. Holy crap! Right, right. Yeah, like I was looking at him this morning, like today, before, <laughs> and like oh, I was just thinking, holy crap, you're like. You're almost an adult, man. <laughs> is he gonna start? I think I've I think I've asked this before, but is he about to start grade school? I don't know what I don't know how he's age in is. Kindergarten line. right now, so he's about to finish up kindergarten in May. Bro. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I've gotten the pff, dad before. Yeah. So that's yeah. that's gonna be fun in a couple of years when that just starts being the norm. But uh, I'm not. Yeah, it's weird that I've known you long enough for me to be triggered by your kid's age. Yeah, <laughs> like 
Yeah, because like, you met my older two when they were like one and three, like youngins. Yeah. Real youngins. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's, yeah, uh, that's now, strange. The oldest one, he like comes up almost up to my chest. And uh, yeah, man, he's such a goofball. But <laughs> they all three of them love Dungeons and Dragons already. So feather in my cap. Do you feel like do you feel like it's strange a bit of a tangent? Do you feel like it's like strange is something that you found still comparatively recently? Mm-hmm. Is now such a big effect on your life and has now already been passed on to be like and a, a huge effect like a huge part of their life? It is strange. Um actually Maddie and I were talking about this last week that uh she thinks it's really cool that I've that I've included them in this hobby that I have that I that I really really enjoy. She's enjoyed seeing us, me and my kids grow closer through it and yeah. and like share share the excitement and the joy of like of rolling the dice, right? Cuz that's that's really the extent of the game for them right now is the, yeah, the yeah, rolling yeah. the dice and hearing me describe how they kill the dragon. Yeah. Um, but but yeah, it's fun and like and they all get into it. My two year old even wants to play the dice game all the time. Oh bro, <laughs> yeah, that's it's it's that's crazy. Yeah, just warms my heart just talking about it right now. So that's I mean, yeah. but that's this is kind of the topic that we're on today mm-hmm. is is that those right. interactions. Yeah. Exactly right there. Yeah. yeah um, like I mentioned before, like the social component of of gaming is being shown clinically and scientifically to have real significant benefits to socialization and emotional regulation and emotional resiliency too, like psychological resilience towards stress. It's being looked at as a therapeutic intervention for, especially for adolescents. Um, Yes. Yeah. And especially in adolescent males who tend to have less emotional intelligence, meaning that they're not, it's really effective with people who don't know how to say how they feel. Um, yeah. Cause they get to play it out. Yeah. I haven't, I haven't gone through a ton of therapy, but role playing in a therapy session has been shown to have, really great effects on compromise skills and compromising and uh, healthy confrontations and problem solving. Yeah. um, Things of that nature. And so like the, the fantasy setting or whatever setting that you're using in a, in a tabletop role-playing game just facilitates buy-in from the client or patient. So the, the basics of it is like we, you and I believe, and, and, you know, we've, we've had our experiences in the, in the studies that we've looked at is that these role-playing games has a, has a positive effect Mm -hmm. on mental health. That's the, that's the angle that people can believe whatever they want to believe, but that's the angle we're coming from when we're talking about it. Right. So I wanted to like, just in like in a very general way, try to break it down. I'm probably going to do it. I make a story. I'm gonna overcomplicate it, <laughs> in in how I try to get around to the point. But mm-hmm. kind of the emotions that people are experiencing or having difficulty with, 
and then kind of where those like how that kind of finds itself being um, tested out in these in these tabletop games with a group. Does that kind of make sense? Yeah, yeah. The say what you said with different words. The the struggles that people are feeling come out in the game in a different way. That's uh, through the perception of a different of a different character that you're playing as, and it allows the person to experience those. Yeah, yeah. So the the argument that I put on the table. So when I was like very briefly, my like my childhood stuff was like my family watched a lot of TV. My brother was kind of into video games, but then he stepped he stepped out of it as soon as he kind of started football. I could I I there were several reasons why I could not play football or many other sports, mm-hmm. and so video games were a much bigger part of my uh, of my life. Mm-hmm. Just to name off a few emotions, like everybody's gonna have when they're growing up or just in uh, as they're an adult as well: loneliness, anxiety. Uh, boredom anger depression loss all that all that type of stuff that's just over you know you're gonna experience i'm gonna experience when i watch tv like for me i'm not resolving any of that Mm -hmm. in any way shape or form i'm just at most i'm watching somebody else portray a resolution Mm -hmm. to it exactly which could be beneficial um, it's better than nothing yeah it's it's, it's, it's better, better than, it could be better than nothing depending yeah. on what i'm watching it could literally just be escaping behavior which right. D can be as well right uh, you yeah. can always misuse you can always misuse yeah anything. that's that's an important that's an important thing to bring up that you know you could be like the the nine-year-old brian slamming your controller into the ground because you're frustrated it's yes or yes uh you could be the the 29 year old brian that's like dies multiple multiple times in elden ring and just like zen about it like learning from it realizing it's just a game and uh and the brian that's connecting with his kids through through the games oh yes let's be that brian that brian (laughs) so so the argument that i make is like even just video games but then what we're focusing on is role-playing games is like the opportunity to be interactive and make choices in video games you're pretty limited on choices still but the reason why D is so powerful for me is because those limitations aren't there and so being interactive and really being able to just experience stuff i think the, the whole thing with like the therapy thing is people are getting to experience things that don't necessarily have real life consequences mm-hmm. so the whole thing is that they can they can have something come up in the game they can respond to it in whatever way they do and then they see the resolution of that without that necessarily coming up in real life because otherwise you know you got uh, maybe you have somebody on the autistic uh, spectrum in school and something happens that they're uncomfortable with and they have a reaction there's however many consequences you know from that Mm -hmm. but every time something new happens they have to go through that just this this round of just like severe repercussions just because they were uncomfortable with something where the argument is in, in D&D, you're getting to face some of those and a certified, like a, a therapist is able to be present and intentionally present some of those like new situations in the form of a role-playing game and let somebody respond to it without there being those real life, you know, consequences. And that, and that person just being able to see what happens. Mm-hmm. 
that's the very general like mindset that I that I kind of take as far as like literal therapy, you know, with uh, with D and D and other other role playing games. The second most important thing for me is the like the general social aspect. Yeah. Um, I think having having an activity that is inherently like including other people and the whole basis of the game is inner is having to interact with those people. Mm-hmm. For me, that's a very healthy thing. <laughs> it's. It's a healthy thing for everybody. You might not like it, but it's true. <laughs> uh, yeah. So to so to kind of go off of what you 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 were talking about the the therapeutic components of of D and D or or tabletop games it, that that was exactly right. I mean, I mean, you get faced with a situation, you get to react, you get to you get to act via a proxy in your character yes, that yeah. you're playing and thus experience a consequence of your input to that situation yeah now the the human component infinitely variable component is that you know depending on your game master or or your therapist if your therapist is doing this as a as an intervention the reaction's just going to be whatever the dm decides the reaction's going to be right yeah so it's it's not i mean it might not be the most perfect lesson or the most perfect reaction from the from the game master it's certainly better than whatever's going in that, you know exactly it's still valid because it's still a person and it's yes like you are acting via a proxy and so is the dungeon master but it's still you and your dungeon master sitting at a table interacting. Yeah. And so it's it's still it's still socializing. You still gain socialization. And and I mean socialization learning how to be social. Like the yeah. when I say socialization, I'm meaning learning social skills. You're still you're still gaining that. What was your second point? Um, just the social. Oh as far yeah, as the social. It's, the whole point of it, interacting with right. each other, right? You know, so, through the game and. Yeah, exactly. That's well. That's just a perfect segue. That's the the uh, the socializing component of the game is a way to learn about the world. I mean, yeah, directly going to be learning about the world that the DM is running for you, but indirectly you're learning about the DM's view of the real world and you get to learn about yeah. your fellow players view of the real world via their portrayal of their own characters and after i mean after any amount of time characters a lot you know their proxies their characters mm-hmm. are going to have different views and yep. so even if you consider yourself a completely mental like just picturesque example of of health <laughs> Just being able to like deal with conflict resolution again in a game where there's not going to be a ton of real life consequences is a hugely awesome, uh, like powerful thing, mm-hmm. in my opinion. I yeah. I think of how like unhealthy and how toxic and how many problems we have in the political world mm-hmm. because our ability to like have conflict re- like resolution in our conversations and like you know quote unquote chat like adults about. <laughs> Are different opinions yeah like it, depending on what areas you're looking at like our inability to talk about it is bigger than the actual difference of opinion 
Yes. Yeah. And so, and so uh, I've witnessed, you know, several times where like in game, yeah, sure. It's uncomfortable. Or like maybe it didn't go great, but the point is, is that it didn't go great in a game. Mm-hmm. And yeah. when you stop playing, it was, you know, and then you kind of figure it like, well, next time I go talk to that faction, mm-hmm. you know, maybe I'll do it a little bit differently. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's the whole point of it. And that brings up another good point that you get to you get to put yourself in this world without consequences to to practice these interactions with people you may disagree with or or think a certain way about interact with them without without real life consequences but i mean if you're depending on how much you buy into the game and how much you immerse yourself in the game you are learning empathy for the character you're playing yeah because i mean if you're as you think about how would my character respond to this that uh, that is empathy how how is somebody else going to react to this how is somebody going to feel about this that's a great great thing uh to your point about you know the political realm could absolutely go a very long way in in resolving some of those conflicts and not just in the political realm but any realm you know thinking about Thinking about uh, how my wife will respond to something is is huge. Yeah, exactly. It's huge. I mean, that's man. I can't tell you how many fights we we've I've almost stepped into because I wasn't thinking about how she was feeling and and think and just like stopping and practicing empathy and thinking about how somebody else feels. Oh man. Okay. Shoot. All right. I see this from a different angle now. And while I, I still feel like I may not be... whatever this may not be a big deal to me, but oh yeah, I'm yeah recognizing yeah. This, right, I'm recognizing right. the impact that it can have that it that it's having on mm-hmm. another person, and I'm choosing to prioritize like I'm choosing yes. to to have that be an important thing. Yeah, exactly. I don't really care about this thing, but because someone I I care about cares about this. Or someone who is in my life that will that affects my life, even though I don't maybe not like them. I'm thinking of a coworker here. Um, <laughs> I'm I'm not thinking of a one of my coworkers. I'm thinking of a hypothetical coworker that yeah, like, one hypothetical person might not actually like. <laughs> I like all my coworkers. <laughs> uh-huh, um, I'm sure. I don't think any of them listen to this show. Uh, what would they be interested in? the show yet yet i like your thinking now but my industry it's... i don't know if i'm ever going to get any of my colleagues to listen yeah. to the show you'd be, i think you'd be uh, you might be surprised i mean i'm in it and i like it so right, i mean based exactly. on statistics you know it's they may be small but they're never zero exactly but yeah so empathy uh it's 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 a phenomenal skill uh when practiced with restraint too much empathy is obviously not healthy but you know too much of anything is not healthy so it's a it's a phenomenal skill to to practice i think with video games and role-playing games in general the conversation has been long-standing of people thinking that video games cause violence mm-hmm. which I, di- I i disagree with Every, anything can be misused yeah, again everything but... can be misused there's weak there's weak correlation uh with like hyper hyper violent games but <sighs> The core, I mean, the correlation 
so correlation correlation's versus, not, versus causation. Yeah, correlation is not yeah. causation, and so another uh, a confounding variable in those correlational studies is the amount of time playing video games. Period. Yeah. Um. I mean, spending sixteen, eighteen, twenty hours a day playing any, doing it, doing anything, not just playing. Grand yeah, Death doing Auto, anything like, is gonna distort reality. Right. It's gonna mess. It's not healthy. And so when you're, when you're taking something that far, anything that far, reading books. I mean, you're you're not gonna be mentally stable. You're not gonna be mentally healthy. Yeah. So that's yeah. There's so there's there is some validity to that but not as much as i think anybody who leans on that argument wants there to be there was a i thought a couple of years ago one that's an article that stood out to me was somebody had one of many articles uh somebody had been attacked or there was some violent event outside of like a gas station yeah and somebody was basically dying outside of a outside of a gas station whoa and as folks were like walking in and out and i say this knowing like i'm still very ignorant on like how like (laughs) bad of a job that news outlets and different forms of like (laughs) informational media can do at like getting us getting truth across Mm -hmm. um so i feel uncomfortable even saying it but like their statement was that like people were literally like walking past without doing anything some people were taking photos like selfies you know with this person without giving any giving any aid wow and the and the person did eventually you know they didn't make it wow attachment that this particular news story put on it was video games <laughs> and i was like uh jeez oh, that's like my yeah like i played don't get me wrong so my like my first initial video games was like i had a gamecube um mm-hmm. I guess first. And so those were all Mario Kart and a very like PG um, Spider-Man mm-hmm. and, and kind of those games. Yeah. Um, but as soon as I got an Xbox, uh, Halo, uh, Gears of War, <laughs> um, <sighs> like uh, at the time about as violent as one can get. Yeah. Uh, and, and obviously Grand Theft Auto, yeah. um, Vice, Grand Theft Auto 3, Grand Theft Auto Vice City, mm-hmm. San Andreas. Yeah. Those three games were like huge parts of my childhood. Wow. And I have to reload the game if a dog dies. <laughs> like, I can't even handle that. Wow. And so my experience when people like, you know, when people say like, as a, as a general statement, mm-hmm. video games cause violence. Yeah. I'm sitting here and like, I can't, I can't. If I play Mass Effect, like the first time I play, like I, it will stress me out thinking that I didn't please, like <laughs> yeah. that I didn't please somebody, or it'll just yeah. give me social anxiety thinking that I said something in a video game wow. that didn't pan out correctly. Virtual social anxiety. That's so. So I have a hard time reading those those articles beyond the knowledge that, like we were saying everything can be misused yes and so you know somebody's reality can always be can always be distorted the other thing i wanted to touch on was people's ability and this is something i can only speak to my own experience everything else is really just a guess i'm trying to like get my toes in the water in it and i'll talk about that in a moment but the ability for people to play something and experience something in their heads that they can't in real life as as far as physical limitations go, mm-hmm. as far as folks that have disabilities 
um, physical or mental, being able to play something in game that they may not be able to in real life. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, uh, you know, an example that can easily be visualized is maybe somebody that paralyzed from the waist down, being able to play somebody, and uh, you know, being able to play somebody that is not paralyzed. Mm-hmm. You know, in this game of Dungeons and Dragons, yeah. and certainly only an option because if they, you know, on the other end, they could totally just want to play themselves and experience kind of how that goes. Mm-hmm. You know, with that, and that you've seen kind of the uh, the whole combat wheelchair yeah. that got exposed into the game recently, and right. the weird reactions from yeah, people like, during that thing. Yeah, just more evidence that I mean, we don't need to get into that right now, but yeah, just the, it was so funky. I was yeah. so confused. Yeah. I, I just the only comment I'll make is like. The whole thing with D and D is like you can you can take or leave anything, yeah. and so I was just you can do what you want. That's the main the main appeal of that game is that you can do whatever you want. Yeah. So don't ride the wheelchair, right? That I mean, that was my first thought. Like, who the flip cares? Yeah. Anyway. It it was it was very strange to me. Another thing that I saw. Um, that I thought was uh, the most. So I'm making the most recent, this most recent adventure for another group. And in the beginning of the event, uh, when we were having our session zero, somebody brought up having a social contract. And I was like, oh yeah, I, I forgot to look for one. But um, if somebody has one, like I'm happy to send it out. Mm-hmm. Totally fine with that. We spent like, uh, we spent maybe 10 minutes on it. And I just, people just filled it out while we were talking and just send it to me on discord. And I just looked through it and, and it was done. Mm-hmm. I got on a, I got on a, I was looking online just for social contracts and making sure that the form that eventually came to me didn't have some glaring thing that was missing from it. Right. And I saw a lot of posts about like people, a lot of like long time D and D players and and dungeon masters make comments and like our table never used a social contract. And it seems very concerning to have to use one at all. Or they were saying like, it's a red flag to have to use one at all. When you're talking about a social contract, it's an agreement between the players at the table to behave within predetermined bounds. Yeah, yeah. Basically, having boundaries for the for the game. Yeah. So that everybody's on the you know, and Mm -hmm. and the thing that I'm almost often my games we only we go at most to like PG thirteen stuff for sexual you know, sexual things. Exactly. You know, that's yeah. one of the boundaries that I put on the games that I run mm-hmm. and the things I allow my character when I'm a player to, so, so stuff like that. Yeah. And the social contract will include anything, you know, just all the topics that everybody's on the, needs to be on the same page with as far as suicide, uh, children, stuff, mm-hmm. sexual stuff, yep. violence. Mm-hmm. And they were saying it's a, it's a red flag if you need to use one at all. And that just seems like such a non- statement or like it seems weird to me because it's if you if you don't it's it's just it's it's weird Mm -hmm. it's like it's it's somehow insulting to have it be a present present at all like you don't have to uh it doesn't have anything to do with the game and it's almost kind of it's it's almost kind of a selfish thing it's almost kind of like in it to me the energy i get from that is somebody that is not putting a lot of empathy into you know somebody else it's like and really I, like, I don't so if i was to approach a table like that like if you the forever dm sent out a, a social contract on our discord like i i frankly i probably wouldn't really empathize with that because 
because it's just because I don't care, you know, like, yeah, it's, I mean, if you, but it's not a red, but it, yeah, no, like to me, not, it doesn't indicate I, a red flag. Right. Un- yeah. Again, unless there was some, like you can't, unless the social contract said like you can't kill any monsters or something like, yeah. I, At like, which point, like, yeah, like there's why, like why fight something like that? It's just like, who, who cares? If it's gonna, yeah. like if even if it's one person at the table that just wants everybody to be on the same page, or like wants everybody to to f- follow the rules, even if you want to put it that way, like okay, fine. Yeah. Like, well, I, and and like let's say like something is you know, let's say on a social contract before a D and D adventure, mm-hmm. if somebody said that they weren't okay with. Uh, with vi- like violence or combat mm-hmm. the first thing i would think of was like okay sweet i'm glad i figured this out during session zero yeah like there's there is a there is a obvious difference and we can split the group up in a way that more people will get what they want out of the game mm-hmm. because i'm not interested in playing a game that does not have combat right exactly and i don't want and i don't want to put them in an uncomfortable situation sure and then you have the more serious things. It's like, I do like, I would feel like garbage if something, uh, you know, s- you know, something like suicide or like miss, like a miscarriage or something. Like if if somehow like something related to a miscarriage came up and that was a recent traumatic experience for somebody. Mm-hmm. Like, I would just oh, be the, the frickin' dirt of the earth yeah, if, like, that if that had sure. come up. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. And so, like, I yeah, I absolutely would want to know something like that, even as a player yeah. at a table. Yeah. And, and, a, and a group that's talking to each other, you don't, you know, a social contract is an example. It doesn't have to be that formal. Mm-hmm. A group that's talking to each other enough or is friends outside of the table is probably going to be aware of something that egregious. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, uh, um, or not, you know, at the same, like something like that, that's a, we don't need to get into all that, but I, when I hear somebody say it's a, it's a red flag, I was like, well, it's a, like, it's a red flag to me. If, if somebody's not willing to, to be open, that's a big tangent. I don't know where, I don't know. I don't know what part of the path that we, that I, that I went (laughs) off to get to that, to get to that stage. Oh yeah. uh, Being able to experience something that they, that they can't in the past. Yeah. My example of that. I was saying, like, I couldn't, uh, just the reality of it, like, sports, mm-hmm. not something I could do. Right. Up until, probably up until high school, mm-hmm. I I went to one, I went to one football practice, and I couldn't, uh, I couldn't walk for a week. Yeah. Nor could I, nor could I really use my hands. Sure. Yeah. And so, um, I, you know, I realized after looking back in the past on, like, the things that my imagination and, and the things that I would you know, just play through my head would be a lot of like physical activity stuff. Mm-hmm. I was into fantasy, but it was like a lot of fantasy where like the character is doing very physical things Yeah, because that was what, you know, that was what I wanted to live out mm-hmm. in my head. Yeah. And while, I mean, while you're talking about it, that's, that's also like the main focus of my fantasies is like doing all the backflips and spins and like, yeah that's i mean that's my the kind of my go-to character type is like a very physical like a physical fighter yeah as opposed to like a magic user that's that's i mean and 
we've we've talked about um, on our other show very recently that uh, I'm a fairly able-bodied person. Yeah. Uh, generally, and that's still something that like that really really interests me. In, yeah, in, exactly. In the game that I can, I can live out that that fantasy of have like care like wielding this huge sword with ease. Like that's a, that's a, so appealing to me, and I get to you know, I get to gain whatever benefit from playing that in the in the game. I still just, um, I I finally gotten used to it now. But still, those first couple times that I saw Final Fantasy, <laughs> and I saw them just like whip out out of nothing, just these hon- just these chonky, chonky boy swords. Yeah. Like, like this- where did this come from? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like this sword this guy is gets out of his bigger than yeah. the motorcycle he's riding. What the flip? Yeah, yeah. And I'm trying to like wrap my head around. I'm like, okay, they got out of a car, and then he pulled out a great sword, yeah. taller, like. 10, 10 feet long. Yeah. Like, exactly. there's a lot to process in yeah. this scene. It's awesome. It's ridiculousness is what makes it awesome. Yes. Yes. That's that they they knew they have their niche and they just drove it home. And they doubled down. And when the critics yeah. said it's too weird, they doubled down again. Yes. Good stuff. I compare this this type of thing to it's gotten it's gotten really big now, but when VR was really starting to get some momentum as I as I mess with my whole arm mount. Um, <laughs> as VR was really starting to get some momentum, seeing its first couple of uses in therapy on on that end, and the example that was given was for uh, folks that had like s- severe um, fears of, of height. Oh yeah yeah yeah. And oh. uh, the, uh, that was a couple of years ago, but uh, but I uh, but I remember because like, it was just fascinating. It yeah. was immediately like it, I could see the connection. I was like, oh, I'm mm-hmm. so happy that like this is a thing. Was they would have somebody and they would be basically be on one of those painting uh, things on the side of skyscrapers, mm-hmm. and they would start it. They would start at the ground floor, just outside, and there's a garden out front, and the, they got the building above them, and they would just as slow as needed over days or months or years in real life time. The ther- like in the therapy session, the counselor would just, you know, the, the client would just be go up half of a story mm-hmm. or one story. And then they would sit there and they would process it. And if there were any, they would just go higher and higher. And if there was any triggering events, they take the, they take the headset off and they process it. Mm-hmm. Fear of spider, like, like all these type of things. Like what a cool way to use the new technology that's coming out. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Like I loved that. Yeah. And that brings up another great point. That's called, it's called exposure therapy. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's one of the bread and butter things uh, of any therapist. Uh, yeah, yes. I mean, you got, you got CBT, you got exposure therapy. I mean, and probably yeah. exposure therapy above CBT. It's yeah. Like what? What do you not want to do? It doesn't even have to be like a phobia, even or a, a strong, strong fear. It's just the th- what is the thing that's getting in the way of you accomplishing what you want to accomplish? So we're gonna do it. We're gonna like the therapist is gonna walk you through that in how in whatever way necessary. Uh, like we're gonna go to the top of a building in VR. Um, yeah. Which <laughs> uh, the first time I put a VR headset on, it was at my it was my dad's VR headset. And it was just like, uh, like a 
National Geographic app where you just like go to these like amazing places on on Earth and you just get to like look around yeah. as if you were there. I went to some mountain range in Thailand, I think. And there's like oh, these, okay. there's yeah. like these spire like mountain like like spire like mountains. They're just like they're really tall and thin and just like green like lush lush forest like the far one the far mountains look like they're just covered with moss yeah and so like i was standing on top of one of these mountains and like i could see the staircase that i climbed up whatever to get there and like looking we've talked about the call of the void like oh yeah feeling like the the urge to like fall off the cliff or like jump yeah i could feel that even though i knew darn well i was standing in a my parents living room yeah it was like a like a physiological reaction to like perceiving myself on the tall mountain and and this is just kind of a funny aside but like i was explaining that to the room full of people that i was standing in and my lovely wife came up and like nudged me in the back and like pushed me oh. push me off the cliff and my stomach dropped and it like clenched it. up in knots because it was like so real yeah that it was just a it was a weird and funny experience but it's a crazy yeah, thing it's... that that original the original oculus rift had a yeah they had a they they had it was like an eight scene thing where you would just you would just stand there and they would just put you on the on the moon mm-hmm. and on the top of a building and in the these cool places and i i will admit i i put the headset on my mom without telling her anything when she was <laughs> and put her on the top of the skyscraper yeah. and i can confirm that the reaction is about the same yeah so yeah it's nutty but, but yeah, yeah like it's it, what an amazing tool for for therapy and as a quick aside just because i have to mention it i just found out that they're using vr for literal architecture now oh but i mean yeah sure that sounds yeah, like super the, logical and awesome they'll do like they use the the cat like the whatever software to build all the stuff out but then they'll put it into the system and then the using vr mm-hmm. they can actually see like what is the what like how does it feel mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that's way cool yeah, I I love that. I think that's I think that's awesome. But yeah. yeah, so being able to yeah in the game, being able to build out in literal ther like in a literal therapy situation, being able to build out a situation that you have discussed wanting you know you guys want to process or you want to work on or even just in a casual um, situation, mm-hmm. you just want to kind of see see how this plays out. Mm-hmm. Um, see how this this build or this personality type plays out. I I have not asked at all this player if there was anything deeper to it, but I thought it was interesting that I have a player in the other group that um, all you know. I started these two groups very close to when I found D and D originally, so we were all new mm-hmm. when we were building our first characters. And when he was building it originally, he just he was he just made like a jokey pirate like rogue lone wolf kind of character right and he told like he he's made comments in the past he, he eventually changed uh, characters and he told me he says i don't like i i don't i don't want to divulge too much but he he just shared that he halfway through like he realized like he didn't he didn't like 
how that like character was de- like dealing with like wasn't really meshing with the party his character decisions were no longer like he didn't he didn't want to be going off and splitting off from the party mm-hmm. but i can certainly process you know process from it and seeing like um a character that originally was totally fine just making like complete lone wolf decisions mm-hmm. and then eventually like over the course of effectively two years seeing the consequences from that deciding that that wasn't really what they wanted to do i thought that was super interesting yeah like that's just, that's way way cool and i mean without knowing any details it sounds like there was some like actual personal growth of like my actions matter and like maybe yeah. realizing that what i do matters which is which is yeah. a, a huge revelation and a and a massive breakthrough for for anybody to have. And so that's that's awesome. If that's and I if think that, that happens to be the case. Yeah, if that it it could just be they just the group was just you know had shared that they were getting fr- you know frustrated that they kept leaving, and so they just made yeah. somebody that meshed better with the party. It could right. be as shallow or as yeah. deep as he wanted, right? But I can still process from it. And I can sure. still learn from that experience. Exactly, and we can uh, pretend. Watching it. I mean, if we're talking about yeah. a pretend game, we can pretend that what ha- what we think happened happened, and and we can be inspired by that. So yeah, there. I learned as a as a DM. I think one of the things that I've started to take like more and more is like when I'm trying to create stories and and really facilitate these interactions. I've so I'm trying to let's say I have a I have a pro, I have a problem or an obstacle I'm trying to get through or some barrier to my story that I'm trying to get through. More and more often as time goes on, the answer the the best answer that I come to is like like what are the connected back to the players and connected mm-hmm. back to the characters. Mm-hmm. Like not not necessarily what's in my head, but to think about the characters and the players, and what have they been interested in recently, what are their characters focused on, and exemplify that, and like just through the you know two and a half years, um, I'm just guessing on times now because I can no longer remember, <laughs> two and a half years of just a cycle of trial and error, mm-hmm. I've seen like the most success happens when I do when I do that the more I weigh it on the players on the players and the characters stuff, the more they enjoy it. And that can direct like I can pull that directly out of D and D and put that into real life. And it works quite well. Mm-hmm. Give us an example. We were talking about relationships or friendships um, mm-hmm. or anything like that in general. Yeah. The, the basic interactions with other people and like maintaining a friendship or a relationship, being able to realize like what, you know, they're probably going to enjoy it if I take one second to think about what would like, like, is this going to be a fun time because I think it's going to be a fun time or is this going to be a fun time because um, like I've thought about the other person for half a second. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I can just think of a bunch of general stories that, you know, for me and for other people where you can tell that no thought has gone into anything else. They just, somebody just knows what they like. And so that, that's what the whole night becomes. And it's a, you know, it's a travesty because <laughs> there's bored people just, everywhere and because there's bored people everywhere. And yeah. Um, um, yeah. And that's a lesson I just got to take away. I'm like, OK, based off of the 90 reoccurring experiences that I've had over the two years on here, I can like, all right, I understand now. Mm-hmm. And yeah. then it becomes a habit. Yeah. Like I, I, I have a habit now when I'm creating these stories to base it off of the play, like off the players and the characters. Mm-hmm. And then when I'm interacting with people, I have uh, like, I'm gaining the habit of, you know, finding more about them and like 
thinking more about them when I'm planning things. Exactly. Exactly. And that's like, that's 50% of making and keeping friends. Um, the other 50% is sharing yourself. Like, yeah. like talking about yourself, talking about what's it, what interests you, thinking about what interests your friend. Yeah, like talking That's, and then listening. Yes. And right, cuz when you're and doing actually that, listening. Yeah, cuz when you're doing that, information's flowing both ways. When I'm telling you, Jordan, about myself and then I'm asking what you like or think about what I just said. That's that's called dialogue. Die meaning two, you and me. Log, you know, going way back to language or logos, which is a different thing. Like yeah. like the true like true meaning. Like that's fostering relationships. And you do that at a D and D table with dice. And it's it's a safe way to to experiment with friendships and see like what what chances what risks can you take and have a favorable outcome and what are what are the, like what are the chances of a favorable favorable outcome when i take these risks uh and it's it's a safe environment to do that and it's and it's a safe environment to to be exposed to things that you're not comfortable with provided again provided you have a a good dm or you know uh if you're doing this in therapy the you know a therapist that knows what he's doing or she's doing yeah that's it's a it's a it's a fantastic setting it's a fantastic mechanism to to expose yourself to something that that you're uncomfortable with or 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 afraid of mm, man can you imagine like how powerful could it be if you took somebody who was deathly afraid of spiders and put them in a dungeon full of giant spiders and then their job was to kill all the spiders yeah that would and obviously be a, like that would be an interesting study to run to see how people reacted to that like i just spent three hours with my friends killing the things that i'm afraid of we've talked about like the the nebulous like shared imagination cloud that the, that yeah, the game yeah. actually takes place in and so like you're imagining the spiders and you're you're seeing like you and your friends defeat the spiders and you're like you the player getting gaining a, like a hit a dopamine hit or a a satisfaction of of like defeating your your fears uh, even even in the by by proxy like man that could be super cool since it's part of the game the nature of it you know in those therapy sessions is at any moment you can you can say like you know i need i need a moment i like i need mm -hmm. a second mm -hmm. and even if it's just a group of friends that's when you just like okay cool and you guys just take a break for 20 minutes and you sit there mm -hmm. and chat and then you can go back into it and and the counselor right. can the counselor can you know let's say for that session it's it's gone a little bit far and so you know they can they can change the situation or they can they can put it into you know they can they can end the session on something different or they can they can maintain the continuity of the imagination and they say like you know we're having some difficulty but but we're not gonna you know we're not gonna take the spiders out or we're not gonna you know we're not gonna just automatically teleport you outside of the dungeon like we're gonna keep these barrier these mental barriers up mm-hmm 
and you and you just you know they're not going to go away but you get to take as long as you need to to process through it mm-hmm. yeah role-playing games are just a like one medium to try to accomplish something that people have have been you know needing to do anyways yeah forever live and so yeah um in that in the expo like in that it's it's a way to do exposure therapy yeah yeah and so and i I think when i said live oh yeah (laughs) for me as well and i can speak directly to to the reality of of the past couple years uh my uh, the relationships that i've been able to maintain because of D D, because it is like uh, you know, it's a commitment, you know, you, mm-hmm. it's a thing yeah. that you agree to. It's not just like, Oh, let's, you know, let's hang out again soon. Yeah. You know, those statements mm-hmm. that just, that just fizzle away. Right. You have a thing, you have a third party thing that you're focusing on that everybody wants to do, but you're staying connected with each other for that same reason. Like the reality of it is I, I have about, I think I have five players in my other group. <laughs> um, hopefully I'm not forgetting anybody. <laughs> Um, obviously I'm not doing a good job connecting with them as so, <laughs> um, but I think I have five players in my other group and then we have, I think four right now in, uh, in this one. I don't think, I don't think any of those were relationships I would have maintained otherwise. Yeah. I would not have stayed. I would not have stayed connected with you. Uh, there's one other person in our group that, that I was, uh, that I did know beforehand and I wouldn't have, I for sure would not have stayed connected with him. <laughs> I would not have stayed connected with Steven. Right. The other two um, are people I didn't know. And so building new, new relationships. Mm-hmm. And then in my other group, all people from my, you know, from my hometown, from high school and church and work, a combination of those never like would not have, would not have stayed connected with, uh, with them. Uh, my old, the old uh, graveyard guy at the gym from <laughs> from five from four or five years ago you know what's uh, what reason would i have to talk to him on a weekly basis right but i'm but i'm you know i'm super happy that i do yeah and what a beautiful thing like there's power in being this is like this is dangerous to go down this path but there's power in being part of a group like yeah there needs to be some boundaries around your individuality. Like you need to be a person and not just a lemming in part of, in, in a group. Yeah. But there's definitely power in being a part of something that you get to take for yourself. Like that's, that's real. Like that's, that's real power. Like you're connected to something and that's, that's a real, and it can be a real, borderline spiritual or religious experience i know like in in my game as, as, that i play in of yours so, so your game that i play in not my game i i texted you about this when like my character died and yeah you had set up that resurrection scenario yeah um where the my teammates had the chance to to revive me and like bring me back to life that whole scenario was incredibly and unforeseeably positively impactful to my to me it was it came at a time in my life where i didn't feel confident in a lot i didn't mm. feel i didn't i didn't the feel self, the self-talk important. the self-talk wasn't necessarily right. where you wanted it to be so i didn't feel important or 
confident in my effect on on my world. Um, yeah. And so, I mean, luckily, I have a wife and kids who just love me more than I probably... And so that helped. But also, this, this game of D&D was... It was a... It was an experience for me to 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 uh, to experience. It seemed like a lot of work and preparation went into it on your part. I mean, it was a very complex scenario that was very cinematic feeling and just super tailored to to me and my character. I even felt at the time like. I hope I hope the other two players are like are feeling okay with all the the spotlight oh, that's yeah, been shown yeah. on me. Like it was yeah. it was super super like molecularly focused on me and my character, and it was it was really really uplifting to have that that moment where like I through my character got to got to challenge like the will of the of the god that my character serves um yeah which in a way was assuredly unbeknownst to you I, you couldn't have known this but it was a way no for, i did i me i didn't to process like my own will in the world like because i was feeling um powerless and, and like i said powerless and unconfident yeah um and that was just, it was like, a, like, like I said before, it was, it was a, kind of a spiritual experience for that, to, for me to play through that in, in the game. I do find it interesting that some of my best sessions have all revolved around character deaths yeah. <laughs> and the revival of which. Well, and of um, course, like, of course they are. Cause, oh yeah. cause like in my case, like that was a, it was a very vulnerable time for me and the character that I was playing through. And so like. Yeah. Of course it was impactful and and of course it it meant so much because because of the nature of the vulnerability of that situation like even had I not been going through the rejection of not getting into grad school at the time like it it still would have been impactful because you know my character who I really like was vulnerable he was dead and so like that and how much more vulnerable can you be than than when you're you know, a dead, like a lifeless corpse, right? That's like the most vulnerable you can be outside of like a, a moment's old baby. Yeah. And I want to like on the DM side, I want to break it down a bit because um, I think there's a couple things that play into that. I think as the player, you're seeing, um, I, I always, one of these days I'm going to explain it in a way that like I'm satisfied with, but in general, like the whole thing about a thoughtful gift is way more meaningful than an expensive gift. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, and, and, you know, in, in during the holidays or, or during any time. And so, I, I'm I'm preparing at this moment. Uh, we're part of the same faith, and I'm I'm preparing a. Uh, uh, I got called back to be a, a, t- a teacher again. Nice. <laughs> um, here where I moved, I'm preparing a, a lesson, and it's all about um, you know gifts, you know, from our uh, from our God and and. Uh, my focus is like the gift of like attention and and like the gift of attention mm-hmm. 
like something or somebody focusing on you yeah and like how important and needed that is for people and so as a player um what's happening outside of the game is like you're seeing like you said you're seeing like obvious time and attention being put on on you Mm -hmm. but then also the thing that's happening is uh is i set up the situation but i can't i can't effectively control the players right in a in a way that feels satisfying and so you as a player knows out of game that multiple people are having these are making these choices towards you because mm-hmm. i can only like i can only set up the situation but you know that i can't control the players and so you know that these players and these characters are also make making choices to like you know make risks and try to do these things for your character and so you're seeing like in a way that you know feels about as real as it can you're seeing multiple people put attention on you mm-hmm. and kind of and kind of show that um, I don't know if that makes sense. Mostly I'm talking about that kind of that awareness that like I can't I can't as the DM control what decisions the characters are going to make because mm-hmm. they could leave your like, you know, that they could like not really put a lot of importance on like trying to revive you. Right. Absolutely. That's absolutely a possibility. Yeah. Yes. Definitely. But they do. In that case, they did. Mm-hmm. It was a bit it was a big whole, you know, thing that was happening. And yeah. And, and I didn't you know, we we were talking about it. But I certainly didn't know that that was gonna that was gonna resonate those that life thing, and that in game event was gonna resonate with you, mm-hmm. you know during that during that time. Mm-hmm. But that's why like the the meaning is in the eyes of the beholder. Right, right. And that's what I think is so. That's what I think is so cool. Like I learned, you know, that lesson that lesson that I learned as a DM. I make a story that probably none of my players ever like made a guess that that was that was a lesson that I was kind of taking over the course of the over the course of the years. But that's what I was, you know, that's one thing I was learning. And then as, as like a player, I don't know what things the players are experiencing or kind of processing, kind of processing through. Um, I think that's really cool. I really appreciate you sharing that. That's mm-hmm. a, that's a cool, that's a cool thing. That gets me pumped up to run freaking D and D. Yeah, dude. That's, I mean, it's, it's amazing. Cause like, like, yeah, you put in a lot of work, right. But it was kind of, an accident that it had such an effect yeah exactly yeah that's and like that's part of the the awesome nature of role-playing games is that like like you said the meanings in the eye of the beholder like any anybody at that table can learn and grow and and take what they will from whatever scenario that or whatever happens yeah and i'm you know i learned my own i was having my own experience Mm -hmm. during that session you're having your thing yeah that i'm not aware of and meanwhile the thing that i was you know uh now that i'm remembering it i think it came up even more because i think uh steven's character died earlier on yeah than yours mm-hmm. and that first time when i realized like i i can possibly like create something or like put something out in the world that other people are like going to like have a physical and positive like emotional reaction to because mm-hmm. you guys were into you guys were super into that one you guys were super into um into this one and like the you know for me being able to see like i i made something and people enjoyed it enough to like react to it that was a big thing for me and like myself my positive self-talk mm-hmm. or my you know turning around my negative self-talk right right yeah very uh yeah it was it was very interesting i'll have to kill off more players yeah. <laughs> more characters there you go there's your yeah there's your next challenge 
So it feels like we're kind of wrapping up, but I want to bring bring it tie it back to something I mentioned at the beginning of the conversation about resiliency and practicing the skills to handle real life situations through the game. And uh, you you get those from experiences like we just talked about, like experiencing the hardness of something makes you harder as a person. Yeah. So yeah. experiencing a challenge, be it in real life or in a game, it may like experiencing the challenge makes you stronger. There there's a choice there. Like you can when you experience hardship, you can either get stronger or die, basically. <laughs> yeah, like, we were talking about the hero's journey mm-hmm. and Yeah, like yeah. you you get to the bottom of that that cycle and you go down to the abyss and you can either grow or you can stay there and be miserable. And so it's just this collaborative storytelling game with dice has just kind of accidentally become an amazing medium to experience challenges, both mechanical and social, and be able to grow through those via proxy but then take that same growth out of the game and into your own life and and that's how you get that's how you become resilient that's how you gain resilience is by feeling the sadness of loss right and losing the character and losing like my my character's friend just died and that was like i took like i brian took sadness from my character and felt something yeah and by feeling that quote-unquote negative emotion sadness i became more resilient to sadness from loss yeah so that's like that's where those those skills come from is by going through those hard situations in a safe environment i wanted to i had meant to bring up uh, addiction a little bit more uh during that uh during this episode but in general, I'll just say that my, my experience, the opposite of addiction is connection. That's mm-hmm. the that's yep. the truth of, of kind of the situation. Yep. And I can say that in my personal experience, like the connection that whether it's, you know, D&D is, the med- is one of the mediums that I've picked up. But the connection from D&D for me has been hu- like hugely impactful. I, I was specific. The reason I found D&D was because somebody in my... The reason I found D&D was because two people in my recovery groups, when I got back from the the in-treatment center that you worked at, one of them was running a game and the other one, and he had invited the other one and that one invited me. And I was like, well, I don't have anything better to do. Um, I can't, I can't exactly get on the computer uh, right now and, and do all these other things that I wanted to um, and that I would do in the past. And so I joined them and played D&D with a group that was 95% compromise uh, uh, consisting of recovering addicts. Yeah. Wow. What a cool, that would be a cool group to play in. I think because I think it, I think it would be, I'm a little biased. I'm a little biased, but I think recovering addicts are some of the best people like people who are really in recovery case in point. I mean, I'm super close with you and it's, it's, it's awesome and inspiring to see and look back on your journey from the outside and not just your journey, but like 
I have a lot of friends in recovery and yeah that's part of the thing like the connection is like connecting over the shared experiences man i'm just gonna start i'm just gonna keep talking about this <laughs> it's exactly what you said the connection the connection is the opposite of addiction and and the shared experiences and the shared storytelling is a is a wonderful medium to to do that in yeah i wanted to i'm again not gonna say this in a concise way but having an emotional experience with somebody makes a much tighter bond mm-hmm. you might you might be able to say that in a more uh clinical clinical way but i know uh, like that's a that's a thing they make the joke like if you want to if you want your first date to go well go watch a horror movie mm-hmm. or go skydiving uh, or go skydiving yeah that mm-hmm. was the second one i was going to mention yeah um me with my phobias i have very low expected like uh hopes that either of those dates would go well in my case (laughs) um i would break the girl's hand in the horror movie and the skydiving would just be a mess (laughs) joe in an interview that joe manganello is that how you say his last name sure he was talking about his games with his group and he says he loves the fact that when they're thinking about previous event like previous adventures and previous times they're not they don't say do you remember like when my character and your character like, you know, about just about fell off the cliff and then we fought this thing and, and just barely made it through. He says, what we, what we say is, do you remember when we got through that dungeon and barely made it through and attacked that thing and saved this, this person? Like it's, it goes back to this thing we were talking, we talk about on the quality very sometimes with the brain, like the brain doesn't dis the brain doesn't know the difference. Right. And so we're, we are having, and, you know, this is something that I'm probably going to be too uncomfortable to say on the quality varies, like with, you know, people's external perception of like D&D, but like, like the power of D&D, even though it's just like this imaginary game, the brain doesn't know the difference. And so we are having these experiences short of almost falling off the cliff in, in reality. Mm-hmm. And that's how I remember them. Mm-hmm. And I think I look back on those resurrection events and my memory fades on some things, but like the emotions that were pulled from that, right. you know, certainly stay. Mm-hmm. And I remember like the reactions that some of the players had. And I remember just like the, the, the weight that yeah. was present. Yeah. Not that our characters were doing it, but it was something that, that we did. I think that's something that certainly the tabletop games are able to push even further than, than the video games. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. There's so to put this, uh, like neurologically the uh yes please we as a as a race a human like a uh so think about like a biological race of animals have evolved to remember emotions because it kept us safe like the things that that the cavemen feared would kill them and so they remembered like that thing is scary because it killed like oonga and oh so, my goodness! And so, Yo, like, we no. don't go there. Like, we don't mess with that—the big furry thing with big teeth now, right? Yes. And so, yeah. like, I've I've made a joke that people who enjoy horror movies are evolutionary evolutionarily deficient because, like, oh, I gotta use I gotta start using that more. Because <laughs> as a race, like that, like fear, like uh, certain emotions have absolutely almost certainly had positive effects on the survival of our species, 
like going yeah. back far enough. And with positive emotions, like maintaining the like the mating relationship, um, yeah, like that. That's a that's a major component that way. And so, so yes, the the neurological basis of emotional memory is very very strong. And so that's yeah, like like you said, the that's that's why I think these 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 moments, these experiences stick with us for so long and we can gain so much out of them because while the events may have been fabricated in our imagination, the emotions that we felt were not synthetic. They were absolutely real. And yeah, you, you can't fake real emotions. Exactly. Sweet. Um, I don't, I don't have anything, anything else to add. Yeah. I think that was a good conversation. Should we move on to Homebrew Corner? Oh, shoot. (laughs) Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Are you as prepared as I am? Yep. Good. All right. So, Glick. I mean, this comes from, this comes from, like I, I, like I said, I, I totally thought we were recording the quality (laughs) varies tonight. So. Cool. That's all right. I haven't really, I haven't actually updated Glick's character sheets, but uh, I do know what he got. Okay. Glick leveled up to level five tonight. Nice. Which level five is like one of the the transition points from early game to like mid levels of play, like mid game play. Um, yeah. Because you're getting level five is when subclasses and level three spells come into play. Is that right? Um, most of the subclasses have already been online. Oh, okay. I think the latest a subclass comes on is level three, but level five okay. is when most martial like classes archetypes oh okay I get gotcha. extra attack so the action economy really ramps up it uh it takes yeah. a, a it doubles effectively for for most martial classes rogues are the exception rogues do not get extra attack such so, a shame i know right what i know don't get me started <laughs> so we're we're breaking into a new tier of difficulty of game mechanics so the so a rogue at level five first of all the proficiency bonus goes from two to three which helps on skill checks um, which is doubled for glick because he's proficient or he's uh he's an expert in what was he an expert persuasion i think oh yeah i think because he's uh, kind of the still the salesy yeah so he's still a merchant right yeah but the sneak attack damage goes from 2d6 to 3d6 which is uh which is cool because i mean the sneak attack is the main sneak attack is probably the main mechanic that drives rogues it's all about getting that sneak attack so getting another sneak attack die is great and uh probably one of the most powerful abilities in the whole game comes online at this level uncanny dodge so what uncanny dodge allows glick to do is half the damage i believe it allows him to reduce damage he takes um as a reaction so which at level like right at level five when an attack when when an effect is going to maybe do like 15 20 damage is still like quite a bit that's a lot especially for a rogue like glick yeah. yeah, I didn't roll a, hit. I didn't roll thing. his hit points, but 
That's a lot of damage. But in later levels, like that, <laughs> that same ability, just being put in a different situation, is all of a sudden mitigating, a, like a hundred damage, yeah. you know, from a single thing. Mm -hmm. And it just, you know, like sneak attack and and the uncanny dodge are things that show up early in the game, and then they all remain of a sudden, useful levels, all yeah, the, the way through. Time. Yeah, so that's rogues are real simple. Uh, they don't get a ton, but the things they get are extremely potent. I like it. Uh, was there any? Uh, did I miss any? You talking about any thematic, any thematic uh, developments to Glick? So at this point, he's he's uh, so he's been practicing with his uh, his psychic blades. He's been practicing a little more fighting. A little sneakier. He's getting obviously. He got. He's honed his reflexes a bunch because the un, the uncanny dodge is that he uses his reaction to jerk away from the source of damage at the last moment to half the damage he takes. So okay. he so he's becoming a more proficient fighter, getting more handy with his his uh, his blades and and maybe maybe starting to take on some some contracts or some some odd jobs away from his uh his business as as a merchant yeah 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 that's that's probably where he's at um character development wise nice i like it um okay um encounter made straight from uh straight off the seat of my pants we were talking about uh we were talking about character deaths and so this is one depending on what like how the character stuff has been going uh, i think matt Coville maybe talks about this sometimes um but i like the idea of like character deaths definitely have an impact but that doesn't necessarily mean that they have to like the impact has to be that they die permanently mm -hmm. and so like depending and, I, and xp to level three talks about like it's more like how much are the players are the care of the other characters willing to go like how far are they willing to go to get, you know, the character back? Mm -hmm. Critical Role that was a, a season one was a good example where yeah. uh, Vax Liam yeah. literally changed the packs and like attached himself and his soul to uh, to the the goddess just to get his his sister back, basically trading deaths. Mm -hmm. And that was I argue that that was way more impactful than even Vax dying right then and there. Mm -hmm. Oh, for sure, because. Because for yeah. the rest of the campaign, that was pretty early in the campaign overall. Yeah. That was before the Chroma Conclave, I think. I think it was. Yeah, I think it was. It may have been during the Chroma Conclave, because I think the Chroma Conclave arc also enveloped the, the treasure hunts for all the vestiges of Divergence. And that's Possibly, what they were yeah. doing in that tomb. But absolutely, because the rest of that campaign, that was yeah. hanging over their heads, and it... I remember at least a few conversations between Vex and Vex about, like, that's happening. Like, yeah, like, as soon as our mission's done, like, Vax is gonna die. And that was a real consequence of in that game. That was a real thing that was in Yeah, the, it, was, it was ever present the for now. the players, for them yeah. to think of. Yeah. So, character death. So, this, my thought is, you know, depending on where the characters are at, depending on what this character has done when they died, you could kind of throw this in or modify it however, but for me, the character 
maybe they were a warlock or something and depending on who they made a pact with i whatever it was they are now in um the nine or the nine levels of hell is it or the seven levels of hell the nine hells in uh, the nine hells in yeah. D, yeah gotcha you can see i haven't used that environment too much um and uh and i'm kind of starting to like I think descent into Avernus. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm trying to think. One of those is, like really dives into the uh, the hells, and I'm actually interested yeah. to kind of read through that and see what things they do. So they died. They are now in the nine hells, and the other characters. The the quest becomes like, if you want him back, kind of like a Pirates of the Caribbean pull pull Jack Sparrow out of limbo or wherever he was. Like you're gonna have to go mm-hmm. to hell and and pull him out pull him out of out of hell, um, mm-hmm. and so this is this will be abstract because I didn't take the time to to create the encounter, um, but in my head, if that was happening on the spot, the environment that I would try to create is like one uh, very abstract out of game. Like in my head, it would be a gatekeeper, somebody mm-hmm. like an enemy that they have to fight to get the character out, mm-hmm. an obstacle, also one obviously overpowered entity mm-hmm. that they need to escape from mm-hmm. like a, te- a, a, t- a tension point that is co- like is putting pressure on them to do this with like in a in a certain time period yeah um they need to get in and out before this powerful entity's awareness pans onto pans onto them mm-hmm. so in my head, they have to go to the nine hells. They have to find, uh, they have to find whatever like fiend type creature has has acquired the soul of this character, and this character is bound or chained in whatever like stereotypical archaic hellish way. They have to defeat this thing. I have a bunch of I have a bunch that I just pulled up. There's like a a Marig- like, and this character would not be very smart. I think my intention would be is it would be a very low intelligence, low charisma. Mm-hmm. Um, just, just creature. And so a barbed, like a barbed devil is challenge mm-hmm. rating five. Yeah. And so that might be a good one to use maybe with a minion or two, mm-hmm. um, that's trying to keep the character bound. You guys basically fight them halfway through, maybe a threshold happens where the, the dead character is able to free themselves enough that they can then start contributing again to the fight. Yeah. And there would be this whole process of, I would try to put some impact similar to what I've done in the past as far as, you know, what, what is the character's experience as they are metaphorically getting revived Mm -hmm. as they're trying to free him, you know, they're just like bound on a table. Right. That's a literal sense, but metaphorically what's happening is they're being revived and what's their experience. Yeah. And then maybe, maybe you could even use this as like, maybe you can make this impactful enough that you like shift to a new big bad evil guy or like a side character um like talison's you know talison's demon yeah. that he had inside of him mm-hmm. and so in my head orcus yeah oh there um, you go man yeah yeah something like that challenge rating 26 like <laughs> like orcus orcus didn't care like orcus didn't care but his attention was turned and like as you guys are leaving basically orcus is now aware he's the i'm reading a lot of this I'm reading for the first time. He's the demon prince of undeath. Um, he basically witnessed one of his, you know, captured souls being taken from him. And he never likes that. Mm-hmm. And so Orcus is now kind of this entity 
that in the side, like in the back end, wants this character back, and maybe becomes a slightly like reoccurring thing where Orcus is sending people out to retrieve this character again, and you guys are trying to detach this character's connection with the Nine Hells, and then towards the end of the game, maybe not the final boss of the of the adventure. But one of the things that keeps the tension going is that, you know, eventually you guys may fight Orcus directly. So that's that's what comes to mind off this, uh, you know, off the off this not not having prepared at all. That was sick, though, man. Like, I love I love adventures that like that go into hell, literally, like literally go yeah. to hell. That's I there's just I don't know. There's something cool about going to like the worst imaginable place beating some people up and leaving like from just yeah. like a sheer like no like depth to per like no personality depth there but just like pure like ego like yeah i went to hell knocked some people around and like and ran and got out of there and lived like just an awesome event, let alone like any emotional involvement that could have been in that specific situation. For literally every minute I keep talking, I'm just I'm just giving myself more and more of a heartache in the edit. <laughs> um, but I like it's very interesting. Like the mentality you think of, um, you go to a, you think about going to an insane asylum. Mm-hmm. Maybe you're visiting somebody, checking up on somebody. If I was ever to go there. I would have this like very deep seated fear of like making sure everybody knew like I'm a visitor. Mm-hmm. I get to leave yeah, at yeah. the end of this. Like <laughs> I don't want to make sure everybody's on the same page. Right. And so like there's this fear that like all of a sudden like the door shut and they and and you're you're in there now. Uh-huh. Yeah. And I think that's a very like interesting like fear to like mm-hmm. play off of as far as that tension. And so it's the same thing with the nine hells. I'm very interested in like the concept of like going in as a visitor, mm-hmm. but there's this fear that you, you don't get to leave yeah, and, and you're stuck there now. Like it, it's for me, like, um, making it a representation of death, whether it's this, uh, whether it's the nine hells or if it's like the shadow fell, mm-hmm. um, or like limbo, there's a bunch of different realms you can do it. Yeah. There's a bunch of hellscapes in D and D. But I, you know, it would be a big interest to me to like present it when you guys arrive as like, this is, this is death. And like, if you guys, if you guys mess up or you guys don't do this in time, all of you guys are now have just, have just put yourselves on the other side of death. I think that's a, I I just think that's a cool concept. Yeah. Yeah. So definitely. Thank you guys very much. Um, I know a lot of that. I make a story that, you know, obviously if you're listening to this at all, you probably play D&D, but but hopefully, hopefully I didn't go off on too many offshoots that it, you know, relevance was able to be gleaned uh, from it on, on my end. Because mm-hmm. I just talked about like 10 different things that were important to me and I just kind of like threw it up into the episode. So yeah, hopefully it came through clearly. Yeah. And, and hopefully, hopefully it gives some focus to, to D&D games you play and maybe, maybe hopefully... Maybe you get some insight into into what's going on within you as you play, and hopefully you get to see some benefit from some some real world mental and emotional benefit from playing this game and 
and maybe you can show this to somebody who you want to play D&D with who's hesitant maybe this something in this episode could convince somebody to to give it a shot yeah <sighs> thanks everybody i think uh next episode or or near near one of the next ones uh we're doing some book reviews again call the nether deep just came out today yeah so yeah that's that's pretty exciting i i <laughs> i'm trying to fangirl less and less over critical role but it's it's really hard not to because <laughs> i just i love matt's writing style and the way he incorporates horror especially psychological horror uh, yeah i just i love it and so I'm, I'm really excited about it out of context to end the episode i watched that scene again where jester's god in the first campaign choked vax to death <laughs> yeah yeah. Yeah, Matt's a Matt's a creative guy. Yeah, he's what a guy. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, we will see you next time. Thanks again for listening. See you later.